and of they might be giants of they might be giants of they might be giants and you're listening to WMNF Tampa Hi, I'm Jennifer McTritus, Chair of the Diversity and Inclusion Committee. Tune in to 88.5 FM and WMNF.org to hear interviews with our volunteer programmers, music you won't hear anywhere else, and informative news. Our Diversity and Inclusion Committee is excited to connect with organizations and individuals that support our local area. Thank you for keeping our community strong, and we want to help you make a difference. Let's do this together by emailing diversity at WMNF.org. The opinions presented on the Healthy Steps show are the evidence-based opinions of Dr. Fred Harvey, the callers, and his guests. These are not the opinions of the staff, the volunteers, or the board of WMNF. The information provided on the show is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. There is no implied patient-physician relationship in these calls. The nature of the calls is educational and informational only. Hello out there, my dear friends, and thank you for keeping your radio tuned to WMNF Tampa. And definitely, welcome to the Healthy Step Show with Dr. Fred Harvey. Today, he's going to discuss the many facets of PTSD. You're invited to participate in this discussion, or if you have any related medical questions, by calling 813-239-9663 or sending an email to dj at wmnf.org. You can also text us at 813-433-0885. What a lovely mixed bag morning this is, Dr. Fred. Today you want to give us a deep dig look at PTSD. It seems that what once was referred to as combat fatigue or shell shock is now recognized as being prevalent in society as a result of many factors with many different effects and durations. What should we know to better understand PTSD, Doctor? That's a great question, Bill, and thank you for that intro on this lovely Monday. Pleasure's mine. So, um, well, let's start with a definition. The American Psychiatric Association defines post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, as a psychiatric disorder that may occur in people who have experienced or witnessed a traumatic event, such as a natural disaster, a serious accident, a terrorist act, war or combat, rape, or those who have been threatened with death, sexual violence or serious injury, or losing a baby in childbirth. These are some of the well-known reasons. And Bill, you definitely mentioned some of the colloquial terms that we've got from the past. Shell shock came from World War I, and combat fatigue was World War II. Um, But we've actually realized that it's not just people that are in theaters of war that are subjected to the kind of trauma, psychological, emotional, spiritual, and physical trauma that can create a scenario of post-traumatic stress disorder. And um, there are other things like emotional abuse. Um, Psychologically abusive relationships are well known to induce the same kinds of trauma over time. Gaslighting, I talked about last week, and gaslighting is something that is equally damaging because you question your own sanity and um, become reactive to things. Trust becomes an issue. It's estimated that around 3.5% of U.S. adults annually, that means 12,250,000 people probably experience um, symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. 37% of these are considered severe. And this is really serious because 
even at mild levels, it affects overall function. But when severe, these people have significant problems interacting in society. They have problems with jobs. They have problems with relationships. They are just not able to function well. One of 11 Americans will be diagnosed during their lifetimes is prior estimates. I'm not sure that that's not going up with the amount of challenges that we're experiencing today. Women to men are a two to one ratio. And I think that's got to do with the nature of our uh, misogynistic society. Women take a lot of abuse. In fact, uh, women and all minorities are actually at more risk. Um, Latino, black and Amerindian folks are actually at much higher risk for getting PTSD because Latinos, blacks and American Indians have been abused their entire lives living in this racist nation. I have a link for that information on the website. Um, gay, much more than straight, two to four times higher. Also have that link on there. So think about it. Um, when you live in a society that ostracizes who you are simply because you exist, you are subject to psychological abuse on a daily basis. I know. When I was 12, the neighborhood bully decided that I was gay and had the bully gang hold me down, put lipstick on me and dance around singing Fairy Freddy's Faggot Farm. I had no idea what a faggot was when I was 12. I couldn't even find out. I looked it up in the Webster's unabridged collegiate dictionary, which I like to read. It's only about eight inches thick. And I saw the definition was a bundle of sticks. And I'm sure not a bundle of sticks. So what the heck were these people talking about? That incident left me with fear of those bullies for decades. Decades of reactivity. Decades of fear that I could be abused, that I could be beat up simply because of who I am. And that leaves people with difficulty, difficulty dealing with reality. The, th the symptoms that come from that, they're classified in different areas. One of the areas is called intrusion, involuntary memories, dreams, and flashbacks, nightmares, having a sound that triggers a incident when you are on the battlefield, having a smell bring back the memory of a rape. These are intrusive memories that affect our lives. Avoidance. People will avoid the people, places, activities, objects, and situations that trigger them, that bring back these bad intrusive memories and moods. Because of the abuse, changed cognition or mood is always significant. People can start thinking differently about themselves, like thoughts like I am bad or no one can be trusted. Um, fear, shame, guilt, horror, anger, apathy, detachment from relationships, sadness, anxiety, all these things come from this type of experience. Altered arousal is another area of concern. Altered arousal can be um, um, described as, as hypervigilance. People become 
very aware and are always on alert for something that may happen. I was hyper vigilant for decades, always trying to protect my identity from discovery. And you can do reckless things, self-destructive things because you're thinking poorly. Startle responses are excessive. Concentration problems occur and sleep becomes difficult. And with insomnia, people often will begin to self-medicate and they'll self-medicate to keep these involuntary memories, dreams, flashbacks from coming back to cover up the fear, shame, guilt, and horror. Drug and alcohol abuse is quite rampant because there have not been good treatments. There have not been good uh, approaches. It hasn't been recognized until recently that PTSD is itself a disorder. It was treated as depression or anxiety or psychosis, but it wasn't treated as what it is. The symptoms have to be chronic too. They have to last over a month and cause significant difficulty with daily functioning. <clears throat> and indeed, it does cause changes in the brain. This emotional trauma and PTSD causes brain damage. The amygdala, the place where we process fear, becomes larger and more reactive, hyperactive. And so we end up having a fight or flight response to any challenge and startle. The hippocampus is another area of the brain where memory is working. This is where Alzheimer's disease um, um, essentially resides. The hippocampus shrinks in volume just like in Alzheimer's disease. This is why memory is affected. The prefrontal cortex, where you rationally process emotions, where you get intuition and understand what's really going on in the big picture, it's overridden by the amygdala and it also shrinks in size. And so um, these changes um, actually are truly brain damage changes. Chronic PTSD can actually result in memory loss and even dementia. But this is not a permanent condition necessarily. The brain is not going to heal itself. It needs support. But the um, nature of the, the illness is that the, the brain is plastic. We can actually change the brain. And there are many books out there on the subject of the plastic brain. Um, Post-stroke, many different kinds of things can be done as interventions to help the brain recover. But I think we should take a station break at this point. I think that's a capital call. I'm going to do a couple of things, actually, to take advantage of this moment. I'm going to first tell folks that you're listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa. And you can participate by calling 813-239-9663. Or you can send an email to dj at wmnf.org. And you can also text us at 813-433-0885. And on then, since this is going to be our summer fun drive coming on up, and next Monday will be the big push here for Dr. Harvey, I'm going to tell folks that if you're enjoying this show and you want to show your support, look deep into your heart and then go to our website, wmnf.org, and click on the tip jar at the top of the screen. Be sure to direct your donation to H. A-N for Healthy Steps Radio Show. And if we made it any easier for you to show your love, it would make me blush. Back to you, Dr. Harvey. Thanks for that, Bill. Yes, uh, it's never too early to go to the tip jar. We'll be having a fun show next week as we go into our fun drive. <laughs> 
So there are treatments for this. Um, and we've been working on uh, all kinds of new treatments as well. Um, some of it hasn't quite made it to the general literature yet, but I'm sure it's going to go there. Starting with cognitive behavioral therapy. It is what it is. Think about it. Change your behavior. It's not that easy with PTSD because you keep getting triggered with PTSD. <clears throat> and so there's several different types of um, cognitive behavioral therapy, cognitive processing therapy, where you confront the negative thoughts. Like when, when you become aware of it, um, then you change your reaction to it. You, you think about that thought, you think about how it can be negative, and then you process what it is about that thought that you don't need to attach to anymore. And you modify the emotions. Prolonged exposure is another way. Uh, this therapy um, actually is, is very difficult, but it does have some help. Apparently, uh, they're using it in, in veterans, uh, using a virtual reality and putting people back into the combat theater and kind of desensitizing them to it. It's very difficult, but it is having some effect, but it's very painful to go through. Same thing for stress inoculation. It keeps stressing you with similar challenges to teach coping skills with those challenges. Again, very kind of painful. And group therapy where you share with others, it can be helpful. Um, uh, groups really do help you uh, uh, know that you're not alone and you have support out there. So cognitive behavioral therapy is foundational. We need to have connection with other humans to heal this. And um, another um, uh, area of concern is medication. And so there is good evidence out there um, that serotonergic agents, these are the SSRIs, like um, um, uh, the antidepressant class, um, they promote structural changes and functional plasticity. That means that these chemicals like um, um, uh, paroxetine um, or, or sertraline, these are two of the SSRIs, they actually... Um, uh, help to change the way the brain cells connect to grow new brain cells and then to help your personality have plasticity. In other words, you can change your mood with the change in the brain. Psychedelic um, medications also work in a similar fashion by helping with more connections. So the SSRIs, um, the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, um, Two of them are actually um, FDA approved for this, paroxetine and selegiline. Um, and then there's um, off-label venlafaxine, which seems to have some effect as well. Um, there are no other medications that actually have an FDA approval for treating PTSD. Um, and um, the uh, atypical antipsychotic quetiapine seems to actually have some good results as well in severe and extreme severe symptoms. Um, and when it gets to extremely severe, that you're basically in a place where it's you're psych, it's a psychosis, and and it's it's difficult to actually relate to reality at all. These people need a lot of medication therapy to bring them back into a place where we can even talk and have a mental and emotional connection. The most um, uh, interesting current uh, uh, therapies are psychedelic therapies. And this has really come on to the um, um, arena of potential treatments in the last several years. For decades, the FDA has banned these substances, called them dangerous. You know, it's really funny. They, they think that uh, allowing um, uh, variations of, of speed um, um, 
be used um, on, a, on a regular basis um, and not call it toxic, but they won't call these things that are actually healing for the brain um, um, a, a good medication. Um, so the first one I want to talk about is MDMA, methylene dioxymethamphetamine. It sounds like it's methamphetamine, but it's not. It actually is a stimulant because it has the base of methamphetamine, but when it metabolizes in the body, it turns into something called an empathogen or intactogen. And what these specific molecules do is they help us connect with other people. They help us develop empathy. And so they help us modify our emotional world. And it is through the emotional body, through the emotional world that we perceive, that is where we have PTSD. And so this is a tool that really helps change that. And there's a great organization, and I've um, um, uh, put um, a link to that on the site. Um, and the organization is called MAPS. And um, MAPS is a research uh, group that um, was funded uh, or, or founded by um, uh, actually a New College Florida graduate. And um, he is um, uh, pursuing the use of psychedelics in uh, healing people and many different types of psychedelics. And he has information on cannabis, MDMA, uh, I believe psilocybin, <clears throat> but um, he has um, really pursued MDMA in the uh, treatment of PTSD. And what he's found is um, in their first phase three study, which means that they are going through FDA, phase three is human clinical trials. So they're looking at um, um, creating a drug for use uh, as an approved drug. And they found that 88% of participants with severe PTSD had a significant reduction um, two months after the third session of MDMA-assisted therapy. So they did three sessions on MDMA therapy. And two months later, they had a significant reduction in their PTSD scores. This is not on therapy. This is after changing the brain. And then 67% of the participants in the MDA group, MDMA group compared to 32% of the placebo group no longer met criteria for PTSD. So that's two thirds of the people had complete PTSD remission two months after the sessions and only one third of the other group. This seems very, very powerful. Psilocybin is uh, another very positive step in therapy. The magic mushrooms really are working, but the Johns Hopkins Center for Psychedelic and Consciousness Research has excellent evidence on the life-changing results. And so <clears throat> the, um, uh, I put the link for the Hopkins psychedelic.org um, research uh, area on here because they have some great information that shows very similar results to the MDMA. Um, at two years, however, 67% of the participants still had no PTSD. That doesn't happen with taking um, the SSRI antidepressants. This is brain-changing therapy. Other people are trying ketamine, but the problem is the ketamine doesn't seem to be quite as promising. These other agents that work through serotonin are really the powerful ones. And, and lastly, um, nutrition. It's, it's actually shown up in uh, published research um, um, at uh, PubMed. Uh, they were comparing uh, different agents and uh, N-acetylcysteine. 
I've talked about it many times, NAC. It is a uh, amino acid that is a precursor to glutathione, which is a great detoxifying agent, but it's also in and of itself a liver detox agent. It binds up um, or it is used to bind up uh, medications and other toxins for metabolism. And um, so it helps take pressure off of the brain. Um, it's really, it's very interesting. But 2,400 milligrams a day for eight weeks had better effect, more evidence for use uh, in, in these uh, severe cases than either paroxetine or um, sertraline or quetiapine. So the, the N-acetylcysteine nutrition was better than the medications. I don't have a mechanism of action, but I think it's really amazing that we have this kind of tools that are available. <clears throat> we just need to talk about them more. So um, I think that uh, we should probably do another station identification. Yeah, let's do that. It's as quiet as angel wings here. So I'll give you a chance to look over some of the emails. And I'm going to tell folks, challenge them to match the email writers and call on in. And you can participate in this conversation by dialing 813 813- Two three nine nine six six three, or continue sending your emails to dj at wmnf.org and also text us on your smartphone at 813-433-0885. So what do we got now? Well, it looks like we do have a few emails. This one from Anonymous, and I understand why he would want to remain anonymous because uh, he mentions that he still has PTSD due to association with the Scientology cult. Well, um, that is an interesting statement. It's been um, uh, uh, written about. It has been produced into TV shows. And yes, there appears to be a lot of problems with certain um, uh, cult-like uh, uh, associations. Um, so there has been a decent amount published on religion and PTSD. And it's a mixed bag. Um, belief in God and having a religious family to support you are actually associated with decreased depressive symptoms, decreased anxious symptoms, decreased PTSD symptoms. But there are certain sects that have certain very um, controlling methodologies and controlling belief systems and lots of irrational thinking that there are several that have evidence that they actually induce PTSD. And I'm not going to go through the list here because I'm not interested in that, but you have to pay attention to your relationships. Relationships is where this all starts. And so if you are aware that there is a deceitful relationship, a bullying relationship, a uh, my way or the highway, it's my house, my rules, adamant kind of behavior like that, where you are manipulated into a corner, you may want to end that relationship because that relationship is probably causing PTSD if it not, has not already and exacerbating it if you already had some. It tends to be that people who have had prior abusive relationships can fall back into that situation because they're used to that way of dealing with other people. And so it becomes a challenge to be able to really see what's going on in some of these situations. But um, 
uh, it's well documented with the uh, one that Mr. Anonymous mentioned that there is a very difficult relationship going on there and that it's not a good relationship for a lot of people. Um, here's one that comes from Julia. She was just reading about brain health's relationship to adequate sleep. And uh, would I elaborate on how sleep affects brain health and how much sleep is a healthy amount of sleep? That, that's really um, uh, important here because PTSD does affect sleep. Nightmares, uh, night terrors, um, and, and just disrupted sleep are part of PTSD. So it is necessary to get good quality sleep. There's no question. And the amount depends on you. Some people feel great with seven hours. Some feel great with nine hours. But there appears to be from um, uh, sleep research that seven hours plus a little bit more is really an optimal time for sleep. Uh, one study showed that optimal brain uh, function occurred at 50 hours sleep per week. And so we want to... Um, um, look at some parameters. Um, do we go to sleep at the same time every night? Do we keep lights off in the bedroom? Do we keep electronics out of the bedroom? Do we have uh, a way to uh, keep the, the uh, if you can't have uh, blackout shades, um, an eye mask to keep a light out of your eyes so that you don't wake too early? Um, when you get up at night to go to the bathroom, if you have to, don't turn on lights because the lights will actually stop the melatonin production and disrupt your sleep. Um, and so uh, if you wake up in the morning and you're not feeling rested, there's something wrong with your sleep. So you want to look at the time you're going to bed. I have to go to bed earlier now because I tend to wake up um, between 5.30 and 6 every day and it's next to impossible to sleep any later unless I do have an eye mask or something on. And so I go to bed earlier because I want to get the sleep that I need. I need the sleep so I can actually do this kind of a show because I use my brain the whole time I'm here and I need to be sharp. And to be sharp, I need sleep. This one is from Elijah, and he was a victim of hit and run and had swelling in three to four areas of his brain, and the majority of the impact being the back of his skull. And that's an interesting thing because um, um, they, they said due to the area of the traumatic brain injury, they would, that he would be generally more impulsive. So this is interesting. The back of the skull is not where impulsivity exists or is controlled. <clears throat> it's actually the front. But when you get a brain injury, um, um, unlike woodpeckers, which have a, <laughs> a buffering system in their brain, they have, they have pillows essentially around their brain to prevent their brain from getting damaged from their pecking. Humans don't have that. And when our skull gets hit on one side, the brain ricochets off the other side. And quite often, the damage to the other side is worse than the impact side. And so hitting on the back of the skull caused the frontal brain injury, the prefrontal cortex is what controls impulsivity. And so 
that has been uh, damaged, I'm sure. And he says that he was also always or already impulsive to an extent. So is there anything that could help him be more patient besides meditation and endurance cycling? Actually, yes. I think that you need to consider neurofeedback. Find a uh, a neuropsychologist or a psychologist uh, uh, that does neurofeedback um, using the uh, uh, several different types. Um, the Loretta type actually looks at your brain waves and 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 uses a program that fits to what's going wrong in your brain and trains that way. Other ones uh, work in in different ways, but there are so many different uh, neurofeedback ways that can retrain your brain. Also, <clears throat> nutrition can help. Uh, 5-HTP and tryptophan both turn into serotonin. Serotonin drives new connections. And that's why the SSRI medications and the psychedelics create new connections. Another possibility would be find a psychedelic treatment center and go through some psychedelic love therapy, which will also help rewire the brain. Um, and um, another is uh, lithium, low-dose lithium, like lithium orotate, uh, uh, 50 to 150 or 300 micrograms twice a day. That helps to reconnect brain cells. That helps to grow new connections. And so um, there's lots of things you can do to actually uh, rewire your brain because your brain is plastic. Here's one from Polyplants. Hey, Dr. Harvey, I wondered if you can call industrial noise a cause for PTSD. We live in a neighborhood that the city allowed business to produce steel drum lids with 200,000 pound press. <clears throat> it sounds like a steel dinosaur walking through our neighborhood. And it's so loud we can hear the pounding in our house with a fan and a pillow over our head in our bedroom. We have complained to the city with no results. We don't know what else to do short of moving. We have lived there for 40 years. The company started about seven years ago. It is really noise pollution. And um, is there something to know to stop the noise because it's causing PSD? Well, um, it, this is a chronic trauma. This is a chronic emotional trauma. And so this is a source for PTSD. So I think that it would be wise to seek out a medical professional, describe your symptoms. Um, if you do unfortunately have the diagnosis of PTSD, I do believe that um, um, you could probably make a case that it's connected, but I, it's hard to tell. But having that kind of noise that's impossible to avoid is a very psychologically abusive situation. I think we have our first caller. Absolutely, we do. We've got Clay on the line, but I'm going to make him wait just a second while I again repeat that they can call on in and in this conversation by dialing 813-239-9663 or sending an email to dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. Well, good morning to you there, Clay. How you doing? Greetings and good morning to you both. Uh, good day. First, whenever you ask for a second, Bill, you have to remember that it's come and gone when you ask for it. It's always a moment. <laughs> so, uh, and, and to the people that uh, you, you just reading out about their last issue, the other professional they should seek out is called a lawyer. That, that is very true. I think you first need to start with a diagnosis, though. Right, exactly. Uh, that's true. And when you get the diagnosis, then you go find the lawyer. So, I agree. Uh, um, they're, they're, that's the way our society works. <laughs> yes, unfortunately. 
So yes. Soon to get our, our rights enforced. Um, so I just wanted to call to tell you that I've been looking at these things for some time, these studies that are going on using uh, psych- psychedelics. Yes. And um, one of the things, too, that's very interesting is the psychedelics are very good in treating schizophrenia. They, they call it a reset. Some yes. of the things they give to people and uh, they, they, they undergo this thing and they end up with, um, they, they call it resetting the brain. It's like turning the switch on, turn it, turn it off, it right. And uh, I just wanted to make that point because there are lots of people, unfortunately, in today's society who seem to suffer from schizophrenia, and psychedelics has shown great promise in resetting the brain. And Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, uh, the psychedelics cause new connections, and we know that part of the issue with schizophrenia is that the connections are off and so that that reset is really important and um it may actually um um i've not heard you know anybody specifically talk like who's had schizophrenia but i wonder because the way it works if it just resets their emotional connection to the hallucinosis which probably will still be there because that's part of their hard wiring but maybe they just don't react to it any longer I don't know. I just know that it was a good thing, and uh, I had a one of my uh, nephews uh, took his own life because of oh no, he jumped off the Sunshine Skyway Bridge. Oh Lord, yes, that's terrible. I'm sorry. He suffered with it for years, and he was such a great guy and uh, school teacher and all that kind of stuff. But um, you know, so and and well, it's we have something that, that 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 kind of therapy needs to be made available because you know when you're when you're dealing with schizophrenia. He didn't like what his medication did to him. They dulled him and all that stuff. He didn't uh, right, they do. And he was self-medicating and, you know, all those kind of yes. things. Yes. So. It would be um, um, a really good thing if, if we can, as a society, begin to have more open discussions about mental health, mental illness, because the stigma associated with mental illness is horrendous and, and it, there shouldn't be any. Um, someone with schizophrenia is just a human who's not interfacing with the world the same way everybody else does. Why does that make them bad, which the, actually society treats them as though they're bad? And so we need to change that conversation completely. I agree. And we also need to look at the fact that the pharmaceutical industry, if they found a cure for any of these things, would not give it to anybody because they want a customer for life. There are new drug dealers. I can't disagree. <laughs> well, I mean, all you have to do is watch TV. Yeah, exactly. Every other commercial is uh, selling you a drug. Well, I gave up on um, uh, PBS NewsHour when I realized that Pfizer pays for the news. It's like, no, this is not news any longer. This is propaganda. Yeah. Well, listen, thanks for all the good work you do. Peace be upon you both. Stay healthy, and we... Uh, um, hope that you have a great year. Thank you, Clay. You as well. Bye now. Bye bye. And so I think we're back to emails. Yeah. You look them on over, and I'm going to take that moment that Clay mentioned and remind folks that they can call on in at 813 239 9663 or continue to send the emails to Dr. Harvey at DJ at WMNF.org. All right, what are you reading there? Gail from Bel Air wanted to share that PTSD mitigation can also be helped by the assistance of a service dog. We are affiliated with the Southern Guide Dogs in, or Southeastern Guide Dogs in Palmetto. 
that's a wonderful organization. They do provide service dogs at no charge because, or to veterans who have PTSD because um, uh, of donations. And so a great organization to support. Um, uh, service dogs have been shown to really help uh, mitigate those symptoms. And I would love to have every veteran who has PTSD symptoms to have a service dog if they want one, because dogs are a responsibility as well. So let's see, Charles. So speaking of cults, how might these symptoms manifest on a societal scale, given that so many people um, still worship our failed, disgraced former president? Well, um, it's actually um, the fact that um, he gaslighted America for four years, five years and six and seven ongoing. He continues to gaslight America. Gaslighting is psychological abuse. He's a professional psychological abuser. And so, yeah, a lot of people are reactive. And I think that if you have symptoms that I described, any of these intrusive thoughts, if you have nightmares of orange clowns coming at you at night, you might actually have PTSD. Because I think a lot of people actually develop PTSD from the combination of four years of gaslighting followed by two years of pandemic, two and a half years of pandemic. This has been a very difficult time for us all. And um, PTSD is one of the major reasons for getting a uh, 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 certification and recommendation for some cannabis. Now, you have to remember, cannabis does have effect in PTSD, but it can be bad because it can exacerbate anxiety. So, um, remember, um, we are all under stress and many people exhibit the s symptoms of PTSD without a specific traumatic event. It's just an ongoing trauma that we've been experiencing. I think we have a caller. We do. We've got Bob from St. Pete on the line, and following him is Fez. So, hey there, Bob. What's up? Um, yeah. Um, my grandson um, actually had a reverse action to uh, an hallucinogenic. Um, he ate mushrooms, and um, we didn't know that he was schizophrenic. And what happened is it started a schizophrenic episode, which ah. led... But the hospital stays that we had to call the police. It was it was horrible. Um, yeah. So um, I would like to ask a question: um, Was he in a controlled situation using? No, he was using. My no. Friend. Okay, so that's the issue. Um, recreational use of psychedelics. I'm not recommending. Um, and I and I and I think we should actually really look seriously at recreational use of these things because they can be damaging and they might actually um, induce uh, uh, the 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 um, arrival of an already present schizophrenic syndrome or other psychiatric syndrome. Right. That's exactly what happened here. Yeah. And you know, so um, and when you know, his therapist said, once the cat's out of the bag, the cat's out of the bag. So he's well, been suffering from schizophrenic episodes ever since that. Experience. So it may not be that the um, psilocybin uh, that he used actually was the cause. It may have just brought it forth and it was going to anyway, because um, usually somewhere between 18 and 25, the first episode of schizophrenia occurs. Yeah. Well, that's but what the, the thing is, we need to really look at this and keep it better controlled and do it in controlled circumstances. All of the research that's being done is in very controlled circumstances. Like at Johns Hopkins, when you get your three grams of psilocybin, you are actually in a room with two therapists um, and you. 
and they help you get through the challenges so that you don't end up having really bad events. Um, but they can still occur even in those situations, but it's just really rare because you have handlers. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we'll never know whether or not, you know, he would have had episodes anyway. And yes, you know, chances are he might have, but it was just the dramatic way this happened. It was caught everybody. Absolutely. Apart. Yes, it does do that. Thank you, doctor. Thank you, Bob. Yeah, thank you there, Bob. And we're down to about 15 more minutes, so let's go to uh, Fez in Bradenton. Good morning, Fez. Good morning. Hi. Lovely show today. Thank you. I, I am, what, what caught my attention initially was, um, I love the show, but I, well, he said um, lithium in low doses will regrow um, the connectivity of the brain. Yes. Um, because I, um, I became epileptic um, 22 years ago when I had um, a papilloma tumor removed. Um, actually, I was a medical discovery, and no one had ever seen this before in hmm. Western medicine. Yes. And... Um, so they just named it after the region, and they named that after the region of the brain it was discovered in, papilloma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, and um, not to get into, oh, what is this? But no, the, um, my point is really that I became epileptic from the um, scar tissue in the um, operation yes. that, that, you know, was if I didn't have, I was going to die. And... Um, the um, fully, you know, I'm covered as fully as I'm going to, but the, um, the I can't get rid of the epilepsy. I just take, um, you know, Donogram, Dilatin, Trilatin, you know, prescribed Valium, whatever, you know, to suppress the nervous system and control uh, serotonin. But not, there's no... Um, Are you there? Fez, seems like you got cut off. Oh, there, there you are. Well, yes and no. No, we're not getting it. Yeah, I'm going to drop Fez, and I apologize for that, but I also want to take a second to give a um, a news brief here, I guess you could call it, a traffic update. And this is yes. from the WMNF newsroom that in Manatee County, the Anna Maria Bridge is closed on the westbound State Road 64, Manatee Avenue West. So if you're in a hurry to get anywhere on State Road 64, give yourself a couple of more minutes to do it. All right, I yes. do have um, Twinkle on the line. We can go to her. Good morning, Twinkle. Bowling Green, Florida. How are you today? Good morning. I'm great. I, I'm Hi. floored. Every time I hear you talk, you're just amazing. And we're so, so fortunate to have you. Your brain is massive. So I, <laughs> I'm sorry. Love you, Twinkle. I, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to call, um, because I listen to your show every week, but when you're talking about the brain is one of my, uh, I've been researching a lot because my part of my family is schizophrenic and especially one of my sons-in-law. And when he was early 20s, um, it started to present, and, you know, the, the phases got really strong. So I started really looking into it, and I put him on GABA. I mean, he didn't take it for very long, but when he did, 
he took GABA and vitamin C and, and things that I could find. But I was wondering, it had a great effect to where I ended up just taking it. I take it regularly, and it seems to help the anxiety in this family if we do that. And the tiny little bit of lithium that you were saying. Yes. That is awesome. And I was wondering if you had other thoughts for regular, for people, families like ours that have all kinds of things. We have anxiety and stress disorders, and, you know, throughout the family, my great-grandmother was schizophrenic. And so I'm always sort of trying to nutrify the brain what are consistent things um, that we could do? I started taking the omega-3s because one of your shows you were saying um, omega-3s for the brain. And these are things that are always on my mind. Yes. And, uh, you know, so I just, I, anything you have to offer. But so, Twinkle, what do, you, what do you do for a consciousness work? I'm a musician and a songwriter and singer. So I, well, there you go. I'm very engaged. You know, and and our family's very artistic. And yes, my my son-in-law has, um, he's in a much deeper place now. But he uh, he he had all kinds of issues, and we love him to death. But um, it's no longer manageable, I guess. Yeah, it's so hard sometimes. It really is, and it's heartbreaking because you love these people, and to see somebody be taken over by such a thing is and but i i saw in my research that other countries have great success i think it was belgium or other places where they really do apply nutritive solutions and it was extraordinary results yeah you know i've never heard anybody talk about n-acetylcysteine before i did this research for the show and i'm i'm shocked that nobody has mentioned it anywhere in clinical usage it's just strange so there's a lot of work we have to do when it comes to mental health and uh, health in general. For sure, especially in this country. And the, you know, the, the funding and the research. And you were talking about Rick Doblin, and he's from Sarasota. And I yes. speak with him many decades ago, but he, he's a real, because I'm from Sarasota, I was born there. And he, just the work he's done forever. Yes. My dad actually was going, this is 30 years ago, but my dad was being indicted for um, smuggling pot or something. And I called Rick because he was working at, at the State Department or something like that to get the laws changed. Yes. And just what an extraordinary individual. And there's a lot well, it's of... Time, it's time we change some laws. In fact, I think there's a petition right now to get the ballot initiative for the fall to make growing cannabis and using cannabis legal in Florida. Um, so look around for that petition. Twinkle, I really appreciate you and thank you for your input today. Um, good luck with your family. And, you know, you're really a spiritually connected family. So the more you can do on, on that end with the consciousness, I think is brilliant. And I love your, your work. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye. I don't know what's happening here. We're down to about the last eight minutes and the phone lines are lit up like a midway, <laughs> carnival midway. So um let's go to barbara and then we'll go on off i guess uh barbara and then al and then deborah and then gwendolyn okay let's go good morning <laughs> good morning barbara Hi. good morning dr fred hi there um, miss the 5-0 club at sarasota by the way oh yes i do too <laughs> i have ha had issues with driving like i used to live in sarasota and now i live in tampa and for years i went back and forth um, to see my family, and I now don't don't like to drive far, very far anymore. 
And I yes. wish I could because, you know, I would love to be able to just be like the way that I used to be and go wherever I wanted to go. But I think I have some kind of OCD because I limit myself and I watch what time it is and I'm, you know, I'm very con- conscious of, you know, how, how many lanes are in the, the, the street I'm going to take. And, I mean, sometimes it's fine. It's no big problem when I'm tooling around South Tampa. So do you have any suggestions? Do you think that might be PSD? PSD? I, it does sound like you have some uh, low-level PTSD symptoms there, <clears throat> um, being you know uh, scared to get in the car. That that right there basically is is a kind of um, 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 initial symptom, um, and and then it's affecting your ability to do your activities. And it's been going on for a long time. So yes, you do have um, things that would qualify under that uh, uh, definition. So would that be the- similar things that you've just discussed that would help with that? I mean, yes, absolutely. Is there one particular thing like um, that you think would help with driving that Uh, anything else? Well, possibly visualization and cognitive behavioral therapy because you don't want to take any, any kind of medications or anything to go driving. So give that a try, Barbara, find a good cognitive behavioral therapist and start working on that feeling and change the way you connect to that feeling okay thank you so much you're welcome bye Bye -bye. all right the lightning round we're down to about seven more minutes which is about how long al's been waiting good morning Al. good morning (laughs) hi there i have a question about the uh long-term injectables for schizophrenia my son Um, has schizophrenia I, i really I really don't know much about them. I, I don't treat schizophrenia, and honestly, um, yeah, I, I don't really know what they're doing with the it. name of the the medicine. But uh, he just started on it, and he said he feels a lot better. He's got the oh good, yeah, he's got the voices, and he's got sounds coming at him, and that they're gone, and he and he feels much better. But he still uh, he still has symptoms of schizophrenia. When he was two, when he was twelve years old, he was d- diagnosed with OCD. Because he had nightmares a lot, yes, and, and they put him on Seroquel about ten years ago because of his schizophrenia, and now he's yes. on the uh, injectable and uh, Prozac. So, well, I'm glad he's feeling better. And you know, um, schizophrenia is hardwired. So the way I have seen people respond to the medications is that it allows them to deal with the voices better. Okay, that makes sense. Yep, that's that sounds like him. Yeah. Now, um, he was held captive in a, uh, a jail in Guatemala for 50 days uh, about 10 years ago, and he came out a lot worse than, than when he went in. Oh, no doubt. When you, when you incarcerate people with uh, illness, it doesn't actually help the illness very much. I wouldn't think so, yeah. Uh, so, I, okay. Uh, glad he's doing better. Best wishes on that, Al. Thank you. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. All right, and now down to five minutes, and I'm going to go to Deborah in St. Pete. Oops, no, let's go to Nancy in St. Pete. Hi. Uh, Good morning. Lobby against Senator Durbin's bill, uh, S-4090. It's going to restrict our use of NAC and B-6. Uh, Big Pharma wants to require prescriptions for ridiculous amounts of these. Yes. Yes, they don't want to treat people. Yeah. Well, have you heard about the, this bill? I have. 
Yes, and I, I'm glad you brought it up. Um, I just got uh, one of my compounding pharmacies sent me a, a missive on Friday about um, um, we have until um, um, what uh, this Thursday or something to comment. So um, everyone should look for this uh, N-acetylcysteine bill so you can find connection to it online and and uh, write to your congressmen, senators, and say this is bad. Stop the idea um, because we need to. They're they're t- they're still taking input on this uh, potential bill. Okay, great. Thank you, Nancy. Okay, bye. Bye bye. All right, Dan, looking at just about two minutes, three minutes, let's go to Gwendolyn in Tampa. Hi, Gwen. Hello, uh, Dr. Fred. Uh, I have a, I think it's a disease, I'm, I'm not sure, but I can only spell it for you. It's A-P-H-A-S-I-A, and I want to know what kind of symptoms uh, do a person have. With, with A-P-H-A-S-I-A, aphasia? Yeah. Oh, that that means you can't speak, but you're speaking to me. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure what you've got. <laughs> no, I read this uh, in a in a magazine. The word here, and I want to know what what type of symptoms do you get from from this? Well, aphasia uh, is you can't actually speak. That's oh, what the word, it? that's the definition of the word, can't speak. Can't yes, speak. Um, there's cognitive aphasia where you can't actually think to speak. And then there's expressive aphasia where you know the word, it's running around in your head and you can't put it out of your mouth. That's oh, aphasia. Wow. Oh, okay. All right. So I don't think you have it. Okay. Thankfully. Sure. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're so welcome. Well, Dr. Harvey, it looks like we are getting to the end of the show and was wondering if you had any clues for what we can look forward to next week. Yes, I have some clues. So uh, I've got the rest of the month laid out here. So next week, I want to talk about men's health, specifically low testosterone, low sperm counts, erectile dysfunction. My question is, what's up, guys? (laughs) (laughs) And talk about this stuff because we have a problem. Um, sperm counts and testosterone levels are one third what they were in 1940. So let's talk. Um, and two, uh, two weeks, oh, next week, we're going to talk about uh, uh, the fundraiser too. So get online. And remember, we're going to want you to, uh, uh, we're not going to be able to talk. We're going to be able to do emails. So for each email, please consider just putting 10 bucks in to the tip jar um, uh, or more if you can do it. And uh, the 20th is going to be brain health and Alzheimer's. And the 27th is HIV because that is National Get Tested for AIDS Day. Okay, so until next Monday at 10 o'clock, I'd like to thank you, Dr. Harvey, and all of our participants and listeners for listening to the show. Take care and stay healthy. You're the greatest. Thank you. You've been listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa. Just seconds away is five minutes of NPR news, and then we'll present Sustainable Living, hosted by the award-winning team of Kenny Coogan and Annie Ellis. Today, their guest is apiarist Angela Rodriguez-Diaz, and she's here in the studio to tell us about the importance of honeybees and native bees. Until next Monday at 10 a.m., thank you for supporting and listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa, your community conscious radio station. Stay safe, stay thoughtful, and know that you are loved.